the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul your work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my Jesus. 
everyone. It is so good to see you all. Uh, my name's Jay. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. And uh, we begin each of our services with a call to worship, a, a reminder of, of why we are here, a prompt to help us enter into this time of worship uh, to our God. And uh, this morning, we're going to hear from Psalm 96, the first four verses. Would you stand with us? Uh, the, the words will be on the screen for you to follow along. I'm going to read it out loud. This is Psalm 96, the first four verses. Listen to these words, receive them, and uh, prepare your hearts. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Let's pray together. O God, source of our joy, it is good to give thanks to you, to sing praises to your name, to shout for joy of your love and faithfulness to us, your children. God, we confess it is often difficult to see past our own anxieties and to truly seek you and to reflect on your gospel. So, Lord, would you remind us of your good works this morning, that we may be glad at the works of your hand. And by being glad, respond in joyful praise to you. God, would you bring to our minds reason upon reason to bless your holy name, O God. And most of all, bring, God, the cross into view this morning. God, the most marvelous of works, that you sent your son to die on our behalf, to pay the penalty of our sins, that we might have a right relationship with you. God, would you help us to see that and to give you praise this morning, to sing together, to hear from your word, and to be refreshed in all that we do today. Would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit? We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let's sing together. Have me 
I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed, then sings my soul, my Savior God to weep, how great thou art. How great thou art Then sings my soul My Savior God to me How great thou art How great thou art And when I think That God his Son not sparing Sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my sin. Good God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, it sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim my God, how great Thou art! It sings my soul, my Savior God, to me. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! It sings my soul, my Savior God. To how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou
sing this chorus together.
guys sing a song um, that we haven't sung together in, a, in a, quite a while, but it speaks to kind of the, the, the darker days that each of us experiences from time to time. It's based on Psalm 42, and I wanted to read the first few verses um, of this passage. Listen to Psalm 42. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You may be experiencing a season where you feel alone and you don't feel near to God. The Psalms have many passages that speak to this, so it's not uncommon. And the psalmist here is struggling and he reminds us that we should do what we should do when in seasons like these. We hope in God. He is our living hope. That Christ is all that we have. But he is more than enough for what we need. So let's sing this song together. so disturbed within me I can remember when you showed your face to me as a deer pants for water so my soul thirsts for you and when I survey your splendor you so faithfully renew like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh I am satisfied in you When I'm looking at the ground It's an inbred feedback loop That drags me down So it's time to lift my brow and remember better days when I love to worship you and all your ways, singing sweetest songs of praise. 
Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your grace to me As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you And when I survey your splendor, you so faithfully renew Like a bed of rest for my fainting flesh I am satisfied in you. Let my sighs, let my sighs give way to songs that sing about your faithfulness. Let my pain reveal your glory as my only real rest. Let my loss to show me all I truly have is you. All I truly have is you. So when I'm drowning out at sea, and all your breakers and your waves crash down on me, I'll recall your safety scream. You're the one who made the waves. And your son went out to suffer in my place And to show me that I'm safe So why am I down? Why so disturbed? I am satisfied Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I am one of the pastors here, and it is great to get to worship with you this morning. Um, when you came in, you should have received a bulletin, and in that bulletin there is a connection card, and we would love for you to fill that out, take a few moments, and just let us know that you are here if you would like information about anything or help getting connected with the church, uh, or if you have a prayer request. There's a little space on the back of the card to fill that out, and our pastors pray through that each week, and so we encourage you to, uh, to fill that out. You can slip it in the seat back pocket in front of you or drop it in the offering box on your way out. Uh, also, we worship a generous God. Part of our response of worship is giving generously. So if you would like to give, you can. there are many ways to do that. You can always give online at citychurchgnv.com give, or you can drop a, a gift in the box on your way out as well. A few announcements for this morning. Uh, we have a couple of Christian ed, adult ed classes that are going on right now, a Monday night and a Wednesday night class. So Monday night is the physical education class, the significance of God's presence in ours that's meeting in here at 7 o'clock. We're about halfway through that class right now, uh, but you're welcome to join us. We'd love for you to join us, even if you haven't been to the earlier sessions. Great class. It is being co-taught by, by Chipper, uh, one of our pastors, and then another pastor in town, uh, Mike Roop. He's at, at Creekside. 
And so it's a, it's a great class uh, pertinent to some issues that we're facing today, so I encourage you to consider coming and checking that out. Also, we're doing a questioning Christianity class that is on Wednesday evenings. This is a, a class that is about wrestling with questions of the faith. Um, if, if you're struggling with doubts or if you are just wondering how to answer some big questions of the faith, this is a great class to come to, open to anybody. Um, a, a, a schedule note, we will, that class will not meet this week due to spring break, but it will resume uh, next Wednesday. Some other uh, events that we have coming up, we are doing a child dedication on Sunday, March 20th during the worship services. So if you have a, a child that you would like to dedicate, please come and, and let us know that. So you can email us at info at citychurchgmv.com. Just let us know and we'll, we'll be in touch with next steps for that. And then also that same day, but that afternoon, we're doing a membership class. So that's a, a way to get plugged in to the church, learn more about what we believe, what our culture is as a, as a church, how to serve in the church, how to, how to get really connected. Uh, so that will be from 1 to 5 p.m. on March 20th. It'll be in the community room, which is just straight through those doors on the other side. And you can RSVP to that. You can either e email the info email or you can sign up on Realm, which is our social media app. So if you're not on Realm, you can sign up for that as well at the welcome table after the service. Uh, last Sunday, if you were here, it was a big Sunday for us as a church. We got to uh, celebrate the official launch of the City Roots Project, and that is our initiative right now to, to purchase this building this month, Lord willing, to purchase this building that we're, just, we're currently uh, leasing part of, so we would buy it, and then over the next three to five years to gradually renovate, renovate it and occupy that. So if you uh, missed last Sunday, it was, it was a really wonderful time. We had a time of uh, sharing some overview of the, the project, watching a video about the vision of it, had some leaders who shared on a panel about how they envision uh, ministry expanding through that and ways to serve our city, ways to serve uh, folks in the church. And then uh, we, we gave a little outline over uh, about the, the goals and the next steps in the, in the project. So if you missed that, we recorded it. It is on YouTube, so you can go and, and check that out, uh, or it's also posted on Realm. So I'd encourage you to go back and watch that if you weren't here. We also have some resources available that we passed out last Sunday. There is uh, this booklet that has an overview of all of the, the goals and the, the project itself. We are also doing a guided prayer time this month, for the month of March, we have 31-day prayer guide. Both of these resources are back on that table, so if you didn't get this last Sunday, please go and pick that up. And then a quick update. Oh, we also have this share card. This is a great way, especially if you're a student. I realize it's spring break. Probably most of the students are gone. But if you're here, this is especially a great way uh, for students to participate in this project. This is just a way to say, hey, I would love to share this with some other folks. Um, pick up one of these cards, fill out three people who you'd like to share this with, you can drop it in the box, and we can uh, be in touch with you about getting resources for that. Quick update on the project. So this week, uh, we, we realized that our, our giving platform had double-counted a few pledges and gifts. And so while we announced last week we had met our closing goal, we, we haven't quite met it, we have almost met it. So we're almost there. Uh, but the good news is we're about 90% of the way there, okay? So we need 
And in addition to what's been given or pledged already, we need about another 33,000 on top of that to get to uh, closing. And that is by a week from Monday. So if what, we, what can we do from here? One, keep praying for the Lord to provide. Two, if you have pledged towards the closing goal, please do uh, make that gift in this next week. Sometimes it takes the, the banks a while to transfer funds. So we're trying to get all of that in before the end of the month. Uh, three, if you were here last week and you were just celebrating, you know, like pulled the party head out, hey, we're good, and you, and you haven't given yet to this campaign. This is a great opportunity for you to participate, right? Help push us right across the finish line. So uh, we need to raise another 33000 within the next eight, nine days or so. So I encourage you to pray about that and uh, ask the Lord how you could participate in that. We'd love for you to join with us in this project so we can close and own this building by the end of the month. If you have any questions about that, I would be happy to talk with you afterwards, so please come in and grab me after the service. Finally, we, uh, once a month we do a missions spotlight where we highlight uh, inter- uh, our initiatives overseas to, to take the gospel and share the love of Jesus to unreached people groups around the world. Uh, this morning we are going to hear, we have a video update from Andrew and Kate Day, and they're serving to um, nomadic people groups in Chad. So they're going to give you a little update about their ministry. Let's watch that. Hey, hey City, City Church. Church. Thank you so much for your prayers for us over this past season. Yeah, it's been a fantastic season, and we just so much appreciate your partnership and prayers and support. Um, it's been great season yeah. of language learning and culture learning. We're in the midst of it all, um, learning language and culture, but um, yeah. it's been good. But keep praying for us because we have still yeah. a lot of le- work to do and yeah. a lot of progress to make. Um, we've seen the Lord work a lot in these last few months, but also we see there's a road ahead. So um, you yeah. can continue to join us in prayer for that. It's been really cool because we've had the opportunity to go into some new nomad camps and meet some new folks and make some new contacts and just really kind of do the very thing that we feel God is calling us to do. So it's been really encouraging to see the progress that's been made. We really feel like as a team, we're, we're in a good, good spot and have been really mm-hmm. making some good momentum. It's been a long road to get here and we still have a long road ahead. Sometimes we feel discouraged because it's like, man, if, if these people ever come to faith, it's going to be a miracle because mm-hmm. there's just so many roadblocks um, and so many hurdles to reach these Arab nomads with the gospel. Uh, and at the same time, there's been so much progress already and, and we're just really thankful to be here. So yeah, we're plugging away at language learning. We're still learning Arabic, studying Arabic. We're going out to camp, spending the night with, with, uh, with these nomads, camping with them. Um, we're building new relationships with folks. Um, we're working as a team together to, to sort of solidify our, 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 our teamwork, our team vision and values. And um, yeah, it's been really cool also to see different people using their gifts in different ways, all for the sake of seeing the Arab nomads reached um, with the gospel. So yeah, a couple yeah. prayer requests. Yeah, a few prayer requests could be um, just uh, language learning and mm-hmm. culture learning, just continued perseverance for that. Yeah. Also unity on the team that we can continue to be unified as we head forward in our vision. And then yeah. also for these nomads who we've been able to make contacts with and future nomads who we will be able to make contacts with and that these relationships that have started we just continue to progress in mm. a good way and that the Lord would give us many opportunities to share the gospel. 
Yes. Thank you so much for standing with us in, yes, in prayer you. and support. We love you guys. God bless. Well, good morning. Once again, my name is Chipper. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. This is the first Sunday of the Lenten season, and um, we have a special treat. It's not specifically tied to the first Sunday of Lent, but I wanted to mention that anyway, and I think it's God's providence that we get to do what we get to do. By way of introduction, let me say a few things. It's very important to us here at City Church that we be a sending church, and we mean that in two ways. Number one, you are sent out every single Sunday after these services into the rhythms of everyday life, into your work, into your parenting, into your neighborhoods, into your friendship, to apply everything that we are singing about and preaching about. Number two, we want to be ascending church in which our, our long-term vision, it's important to mention this in the context of a building campaign, is not to build skyscrapers, is not to be huge, um, to get bigger and bigger, but actually to send people out of here, uh, to send people out into the mission field, the global mission field. You just heard from Andrew and Kate Day. Uh, it's to send people out to plant other churches. When we planted City Church nine years ago, our desire was that we would be a, a, a church that plants other churches. And so hopefully, in the years to come, in the next, I don't know, who, four or five years, we'll plant other churches here in Gainesville or, or regionally in other cities. If we want to do that, if we want to send people out, it means we have to raise up other leaders, other spiritual shepherds uh, to plant these churches and help lead these teams. And part of that means, and we started doing this probably three years or so ago now, having what we would call pastoral interns and in residents here at City Church. So people who are exploring vocational ministry. So far, this has been pre-seminary exploration. This is folks that are thinking maybe that God has called me to go to seminary, but they want to get um, their toes in the water, so to speak, and see what ministry life is like in the local church to get more clarity. Is this what God is calling me to do? So we have these internships and these residencies. We've been taking two folks at a time recently in the past couple of years, and we hope to continue doing this. And so if you're sitting here and thinking, huh, maybe I would like to do um, a part-time or in some cases a full-time residency or internship for a year here at City Church and explore local church ministry. Put something on your connection card, talk to me after the service. We would love to hear from you. Part of this uh, training in many cases means that we have our residents or our interns preach on a Sunday morning, bring the preached word. And when they do so, it means they've already done, I don't want to call it practice preaching because there's really no such thing. Uh, but what it means is that they've done a, a sermon, usually like on a Tuesday night, that they prepared, and uh, that happened a few months ago, and members of our church would come and hear and give them feedback, and so this is going to be their second time preaching, uh, and, but the first time on a Sunday morning. So you might think of City Church as something, this works in a medical community as a teaching hospital, or a church that wants to raise up and send out leaders, and so what it means is that we have occasions like this, and it brings me a lot of joy um, that Tyler Jacobs, who has been on our staff for the past couple of years, is going to be preaching for us this morning. Um, your responsibility as a church is to obviously allow the Spirit to work in you as he preaches so that you might be changed and you might be a transformed people when we leave, but also to pay attention as Tyler is preaching so that you might give him encouraging and constructive feedback. I mean, we are part this is, preaching is at, in many ways communal. Uh, he's not just sending you things. You're receiving it, and you're also giving him feedback and helping him grow as a preacher and perhaps one day as a pastor. I asked him to give, him, uh, give me some biographical information, and he sent me like five pages of stuff. I just can't, I can't get through it. There's 
There's something in here about being a valedictorian at some point. I don't know. Um, not really. Um, Tyra's been a very faithful uh, part of our staff team. One more comment. We are skipping ahead in 2 Corinthians because of a lot of logistics things. So we're skipping a passage that we will go back to and, and preach next week. So slightly out of sequence, but we feel like Tyler's going to use it just fine. All right, Tyler. Thank you. Is this on? Good? Great. Thanks for that welcome. That's really, that's really kind. Um, all right. Well, the scripture reading for this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, verses 2 through 16. Uh, chapter 7, excuse me. Verses 2 through 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 16. The passage is going to be on the screen. And it's also on page 1069 of the Bibles in front of your seats. Um, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us, of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I do, did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, well, we're going through a series in the letter of 2 Corinthians called Strong and Weak, in which we're looking at the ministry of the Apostle Paul uh, through his relationship with the Corinthian church as a way to understand the role of weakness in what it means to be a Christian and live the Christian life. 
Um, and today we get to the subject that's really closely connected to this theme because it's the topic of what it means to grieve over our sin, which is uh, you know, a point of weakness. Um, so this is my first time preaching in front of a congregation. They figured they'd give me a pretty light topic to uh, uh, preach on this morning, and so this is, this is how I'm going to start off. And uh, really, Franz Kafka uh, was a 20th century, 20th century writer and thinker, um, and I think he summarized our modern culture's feelings regarding this topic in one statement pretty well in his diary, uh, when he said, the state in which we find ourselves, that is modern people, today is sinful, quite independent of guilt. That's what he says. Sinful, quite independent of guilt. And what he meant by that was that in our modern culture today, although it's very common for people to say uh, everyone must decide for themselves what is right or wrong for them, um, that deep down we still have this underlying feeling that kind of pervades us that we're not the way that we're supposed to be. That there is some objectivity in the world and we're not meeting up, we're not lining up to that standard. Um, and so according to Christianity, clearly it, we would say that's because that's true, <laughs> because we, we are broken people, we, we have fallen away from a holy God, and so there is that sense that's there. Um, and so in some sense we have to talk about it, because uh, obviously it's in scripture, but um, as well because it's really relevant to the culture that we're in and what we're going to face when we obviously try to engage with the world about what we believe. Um, so here's, here's the backstory for this uh, chapter in 2 Corinthians. Paul was an apostle in the early church, which meant, which meant that he was responsible for planting a lot of churches, a majority of churches, in the Mediterranean during the time in which um, the gospel was starting out in Rome. Um, he had written to the church of Corinth in a letter that we call 1 Corinthians, essentially calling them out and in some sense lovingly telling them about certain sins in their life and things that they needed to improve on um, that he details, and you can look back at that letter to see. And then the Corinthian church, um, of course, they got that letter and uh, ended up receiving Paul on a visit that he came to Corinth after he sent that letter. And Paul apparently, you can see this in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, apparently was met with a lot of um, opposition for his message, for his credibility of being an apostle. Um, and the Corinthian church did not support him, at least in the way that he expected them that, he should, that, that they should. Um, and so Paul left Corinth. Uh, he uh, chose instead to come back to Corinth, instead to write them another letter, which he refers to in this chapter as his severe letter, essentially one more time warning them that um, when he comes again, he will have to act on a lot of the things that he said he was going to do when, when they didn't repent, you could say. Um, and so that's where we pick up here in the seventh chapter is Paul wrote that severe letter, and it turns out that the Corinthian church actually uh, responded great <laughs> to the letter. They, they, they turned from a lot of things that they were doing. They, they supported Paul. They, you could say, even uh, you condemned or they put to, to justice the person who was persecuting him. Um, and so Paul in this letter is now, or in this chapter is now, com commending them for their um, support of him and uh, their response. Um, so that is all the backstory, and that's needed to understand the context of where we come in here. Um, but in the process, as he talks about the Corinthian church and their response, he lays out this explosive principle, uh, which he calls godly grief. And you can see this in verse 10. He says, um, 
Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And it's this explosive principle that is just casually laid out in this passage. Uh, And so we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at uh, that in three ways by looking at the response of the Corinthian church. Number one, what is godly grief? Number two, why do we need it? And number three, how it's possible. So what it is, why do we need it? Surprisingly, we need grief uh, in some sense. And then how it's possible. Okay, first. So in verse 9, you can see Paul says, you felt a godly grief. And then in verse 11, he says, foresee what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what also what eagerness to clear yourselves, indignation, fear, longing, zeal, and punishment. Um, and then he says, I wrote to you, not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Um, and then later on in the chapter, he says that they received Titus with fear and trembling, is the language that he uses. And it, what I think the first thing is that we notice is that all the characteristics Paul is commending the Corinthian church for here in terms of the sin that they fell into um, is oriented towards God. It's all oriented towards God. So he, he says that they experienced sorrow and experienced grief, um, but he says that the grief um, actually led you <laughs> to seek after the justice of God, to, to in some sense want to see your own earnestness in the sight of God. And so the, the characteristics that we see here definitely points out the main difference between this, this godly grief and worldly grief that he's juxtaposing here. The first is, the main one is that primarily worldly grief, um, he would say, is sorrowful mainly over sin because of what the sin has done to your circumstances or has done to yourself, uh, whereas godly grief is a genuine sorrow or conviction about what the sin is doing to God, is essentially what that contrast is. So you see him say that. He says, worldly grief leads to repentance, that leads to salvation. Godly grief produces death, meaning it's no use. It it doesn't do anything but um, move you further away, you could say, from God. Um, Probably the classic case in the Bible of godly grief, to give you an example, is Psalm 51, David. Um, So you recall David is the king of Israel, and one night, he sees a woman in his bedroom window. Her name is Bathsheba. And uh, he essentially uh, decides that I want to have this woman as my wife. And then he ends up organizing the death of her husband in battle. Um, and then later on, you know, obviously God is displeased by that. And Nathan goes to David and says, tells him a story and says, you are uh, this man that has done this thing in this story. And David is grieved and he repents. And in Psalm 51 which is his reflection against what he's done. He says this famous line, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear David say that, you know, it's kind of strange. He just, you know, committed adultery and then he organized murder. And how could could he say that God is the only person that he sinned against? And I think what David is saying is, well, he's experienced a godly grief. He's saying that, yes, I definitely did those things, and he repents of them in the psalm as well, um, in in an abstract sense. But the sorrow that comes from knowing that he has, in the end, really only sinned against God, ultimately, um, just overwhelms any other kind of ramifications that come from his sin. Um, And so so that's a classic example. Now, I'll give you another example. example from our life. Heath Lambert is a biblical counselor who wrote a book called Finally Free. 
Um, and he tells a story in there about two men uh, who he once counseled, uh, who both came to him because they were struggling with sexual sin. And um, he says in the book how when the wives and the men discovered what was going on, uh, both of the men showed extreme signs for disdain for sin. They both, they both showed some response. But he was surprised when, in the end, only one of them really experienced profound, permanent change, even though on the surface you would say, both these people look really grieved. They look really sad over what they did. Um, and this is what he says in the book. He says, both men were heartbroken. Both were sincere. Um, both displayed an apparent commitment to their family. Um, both appeared willing to do whatever it took to change. However, in spite of their outward similarities, uh, these two men were as different as cats and dogs. Uh, they, though they both displayed sorrow, their tears were drawn from two totally different wells. Um, and so what, what are those wells? What, what, did, what does he mean by that? Um, I think uh, something that was interesting to me over the years, uh, last year I was on staff with a college ministry um, here at UF, and um, it was often that I would sit and meet with students, and um, you know, they would, there'd be a party that they went to the night before, there'd be like a thing that they knew they should have done, they fell into it, and you were having the conversation, and, and I'm, I'm trying to both listen, encourage, and empathize, and and uh, in the moment, you know, very grieved over the sin. Uh, one person in particular that I, I was meeting with um, had said, um, you know, I, I've read these passages before. I've, I've looked at scripture. I, I know, um, I even know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's something that's true. I, I, I get that. But I just can't um, seem to... Uh, get over this weight of sorrow, even in light of a lot of these things that I'm reading. And um, after talking about it a little bit more, getting underneath it, um, this person ended up realizing that uh, a lot of what the grief was, was um, even a grief over failing a moral standard. Maybe it, was, it was more of a, a grief that um, I haven't lived up to my expectations for my life and, and what I, I, I expected of myself. And that's really interesting, that's, that's kind of tricky because it, in some sense it looks really noble. It's like, yeah, that's, that's right, that we do have standards and that probably is why you feel guilty. And that's, that's a good in some sense. But I think one of the reasons why he couldn't overcome that, um, even in the midst of the word of the scripture, was because even moral standards, even the, the uh, aspiration of what your own expectations are can supersede potentially what... Um, the, the grief that's needed for God, in some sense, to, to, uh, to forgive you. And so the, the difference there, I think, I think it affected uh, even his, um, his response, even his feeling that he was forgiven, because the grief, in some sense, was not rooted in a grief over uh, offending God, because if it was, it would have potentially led to forgiveness when we looked at those passages, and he would have felt that. But because it was more geared towards self, it um, ended up, the scripture not, ended up not being helpful for him. Um, so, those are the two wells, is that in some sense, I think Paul is saying, um, there's really two options here, is that in some sense, we are saddened ultimately by what sin does to God because of who he is, or we're saddened because of what sin does to ourselves. And there is a, there is a space, for sure, to be saddened for what sin does to ourselves, but um, the freedom, I think, that Paul is, is commending the Corinthians for stepping into here is coming from their acknowledgement of the sin as it pertains to ultimately God. Um, 
So another way to put that, worldly grief doesn't flow out of a genuine love for God, but it flows from a love for things that you may be getting from God. Um, and now that kind of moves us into our second point, which is why do we need it? Um, and by this point, you're kind of probably sunken in your chair a little bit after all the talk. It's like, this is a heavy, heavy weighty things. Um, and I think uh, that kind of ties into even looking at the, the need and the effect of why we need godly grief and how that's actually beneficial for us. Um, so the answer that Paul gives to this question, uh, it's connected in verses 9 and 10. He says, uh, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Um, so the, the word here that is used for repentance in the Greek uh, literally means what probably a lot of us have heard repentance means, which is essentially to change course, to, to turn from something. Um, but in the Old Testament, which Paul would have definitely known, uh, the word repentance most often used, the word for repentance, is the word shuv, which doesn't mean just to turn, but it means to return. It means to, for example, in Genesis 3, uh, when God pronounces the curse on Adam, he says, uh, from dust you were taken, and to dust you shall return. And that word return is shuv in, in, the, in the Hebrew. Um, and I think what this shows is that the heart of repentance, uh, which, is, which is what Paul is connecting this point to, he's saying godly grief is something we need in our lives as Christians. We need this in order to grow, in order to experience salvation. We need this in order to, that salvation, that's a huge uh, blessing, right? That's the ultimate blessing, but we need this godly grief to experience that. And part of that is because it leads us to repentance. And that word repentance, um, I think this clarifies when you look at kind of combining those two, two things, um, that Paul um, sees this more as just uh, stopping one thing. In some sense, it is more, yes, stopping that one thing, but it's also coming back to, returning to, um, something that you could say was your home or, or your, your space, your original, your original uh, place that you came. And, and in this context, that would be turning from those, those things that are separating us from God and instead returning to God as our one true God. Um, so it's, very, it's much more personal, I think, than we realize um, than, than when we hear the word repentance. Um, and, and this is, is connected because throughout the New Testament, uh, Paul, when he um, preaches the gospel, uh, he always talks about it as if it was not just turning from you know, one behavior to another behavior, but that it was really a reorientation of loves, really, really turning from going in one direction, um, behavior caused by worship and love for things that God gives, and then turning towards, instead, now worshiping and loving the true God. Um, and so, like in Acts 17, he says, speaking in the Areopagus, he says, being then God's offspring, we not ought to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And there's that word. But then in 1 Thessalonians, he also, when he's talking about the church in um, that region, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
For they, that is the other churches themselves, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And most of the commentators, when you look at this passage, um, looking at that, that verse where Paul says in verse 11, uh, we see what earnestness, actually, excuse me, where he says, um, uh, yes, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. They look at that word regret, and they say, what does Paul mean by that? That godly grief leaves us without regret. And they would say that, well, if you connect it back to the first point, if it's true that uh, worldly grief compared to godly grief is really more so attaching our hearts to other things that aren't God so that when um, we fail, we're not really sorrowful over the sin because of what it does to God, but because of what it does to our things, then the solution in some sense for why we need this godly grief is that it, re it reorients our hearts through repentance towards worshiping and loving the true God so that now there is no regret in some sense when we do sin and fall short because there is no ultimate loss because of the gospel. The gospel has made sure that um, even if we do sin and we fall short, that there is still in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of experiencing hardship over sin, the hope that our one true thing, our one true God, our one true um, item is never going to be gone because we're, we're going to have God forever. And so um, this godly grief that Paul is getting at, uh, we need it because really it's the only grief, sorrow over wrongdoing, sorrow over sin, that um, leads us to true repentance which in the end pushes us deeper into the God that we need and most long for and the only one that, that we have, really. Uh, whereas worldly grief will always produce some sort of regret because it is, in essence, um, rooted in a love for certain things more than God um, instead of loving him. And so obviously when it's, when it's sorrowful, that's why it's feeling pain over the loss of the things and not over what it does to God. Um, so that's why we need it. We need it because it leads to salvation. Uh, in the short term, it leads to salvation because it increases our experience of the salvation we have in Christ. Um, in the long term, it leads to salvation because in the end, uh, if we do turn from the sin that we have committed now and we continue to trust in the gospel, there is coming a day where God is going to completely um, save us and restore us and bring us back to full flourishing in him. Um, so we need it. We need it because it, it in some paradoxical way, though, though the, the word here is often translated pain, maybe it's in some of your translations, it's kind of like going to the gym, you know, it's like, I, in some sense, this is not a direct analogy, but uh, when, you, when you're in the gym, there's some pain involved, and it's not inherently good, but it's obviously associated with something deeper that's going on. Um, and so that, that's the idea. Um, and I, I think... It's hard to talk about this subject without at least touching on um, you know, what, what that looks like to turn during repentance in the middle of grief towards God and away from other things. Um, part of that is identifying what those other things are in the midst of the grief and sorrow because uh, that, will, that will tell you, you know, whether or not you're experiencing worldly grief or godly grief. That if, are, are you grieving or sorrowful over these things that 
are lost, or are you grieving or sorrowful because your heart goes out to God? And so identifying that, some things that briefly I think are helpful, uh, I've immensely found helpful, um, is uh, Tim Keller, uh, when he says, essentially there's two questions you can ask yourself uh, in the midst of that. Um, first one's more geared towards people who maybe aren't as Christians, and then the second one is, you're going to resonate with Christians. The first one is, what is the thing that I desire uh, so much that if I did lose it tomorrow, it would completely make my life just unlivable? Like, what, what is that thing that, you know, deep down, abstract, tangible, uh, ministry-related, non-ministry-related, that if I did lose it, I would feel like there's no, there's no purpose, really, to go on? Um, the second question he asks is, Essentially, what in the daily rhythms of everyday life are you trusting in to be your true salvation, significance, worth? Um, that is, in some sense, you're using to justify yourself to earn salvation um, as opposed to resting in the salvation that God has given. Um, if you ask those two questions, you can somehow get to the bottom of what those things are that are essentially rivals with God. They're, they're competing for his affection, is what the Bible would say. Um, another way to see this, Barbara Boyd was a leader in the InterVarsity movement for a lot of years on campuses. She says, this is a pretty startling quote, but I think it's very helpful. She says, the difference between a real follower of Christ and just a generally moral person is the word if. Persons who are generally moral and religious but still retain control over their own lives or they give the control to other gods always say, I'll obey God if. If it doesn't offend my modern sensibility, I'll obey God. If it doesn't cost me my reputation, if it doesn't cost me the possibility of getting married, if it doesn't really cost me serious money, if there's any if in your obedience, look on the other side of that if. It will show you what your real identity is built on. If you say, I'll obey God if I can get married, then your real hope and significance is in being married. It's not in knowing God. And obviously I read that and tons of thoughts going to my mind of how convicting that is. Um, but of course, I think in the midst of the sorrow, the, what the probably most immediate thing this is telling us to do is if that sorrow persists, if it doesn't go away, if it's, um, or if it's, if it's just on the surface, it's not, it's not rooted in a conviction for loving God, then the repentance in some sense that we need is it has to be more rooted in recognizing these other things and turning from them, um, but increasing our love for God in the process. Because like a plant you pull out of ground, if you don't get the roots deep enough, it'll grow back. And so that kind of moves us into our third point, which is how is it possible um, that we can, in some sense, grow in godly grief, as ironic or maybe paradoxical that might sound? Verse uh, 9. Paul says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Now, I think this statement is astounding, uh, because in some sense, how can Paul say that though the Corinthian church grieved on one hand, they felt grief, that on the other hand, they didn't really experience any loss? And it's almost as if he's saying, you gained, you, you, you are better off than if you hadn't had grieved. Um, <clears throat> how is that possible? How, how is it that, in some sense, we can 
as I said, grieve uh, well and really experience deep sorrow, weep over sin. This is what it's talking about, weeping. But at the same time, you, don't have, you have no loss. Um, and I think the person we have to look to for this is uh, Jesus. Um, in Isaiah 53, you know, the famous passage of the suffering servant um, prophecy of, of, of the Messiah, uh, Jesus, well, excuse me, it says, surely, talking about this servant, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Yet it was the will, later on, of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, as you know, in Mark chapter, maybe you don't know, but chapter 14, um, the night before he's about to be crucified, uh, the account in Mark says that he began to be in so much distress and was greatly troubled, and turning to his disciples, he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. And that really is the reason why we can afford to grieve this way. Uh, it's because Jesus experienced the grief um, for us, in a sense. Not in the same sorrow, of course. He was completely sinless, never needed to repent. But on the cross, Jesus was taking the burden and the punishment for our sin and for the ways in which we do fail to grieve righteously over the ways that we have offended God. He's taking that. Um, you know, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is feeling that. He's feeling the loss. He's feeling the ultimate loss of the love of his father. And because of that, um, we can, in a sense, in the midst of grief, be overwhelmed with joy and happiness, um, while at the same time recognizing the severity of sin and the severity of the act or the decision or the thought or the desire that we, in that sense, are grieving over or in that moment. Um, and, I, and I would say, I, even hearing that, so that's the gospel, that's the good news, um, what Jesus has done to, to reconcile us to God. But how does that really function day to day in our everyday life? I think that's, that's a question we have to ask. Um, and I think it goes back to that notion that that point that Paul is making that um, if you, I want to put it this way, if you, you know, offend someone, you wrong someone that you care about um, or that you, that you know that hurts, that, that some weighs on you, but if you do wrong someone and you offend someone that you really love, that you care for, that you, you love, um, that does produce a deeper, deeper experience of sorrow because you see just more deeply based on the love, what, what you're doing to that person. And so, I, 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 so the, the, the case is that in that sense, what we need most to grieve in this way and really experience the sorrow is not just to see the bad circumstances for sin, um, but it's to really get a vision, a vision for who God is in all of his beauty so that it turns into just this astounding love um, and worship so that when we do fall into sin, it, it's noticeably 
painful because we've impacted someone that we've actually seen with our own eyes and we've seen the love of. So how are we going to get that vision? How are you going to see that? And I do think in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, just a few chapters before this, Paul says, talking about how many people have, have, how people come to faith in the gospel, and he calls, he's referring to this ministry, talking about how that works, he calls it the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the gospel, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so, what does it mean? It's through the gospel, the gospel. But it's not just as a means to salvation. It's through the gospel as a window into the beauty and majesty of God for who he is. Um, so it's not just a means to an end, even though it is that, as we said. But it's, it's an opening to who is this, who's the character of this God that I'm worshiping. Um, and you know that, that song uh, we just sang a few moments ago, how great thou art, uh, you see the logic of this in the song. Um, actually, you probably see the logic in almost all the songs that we sing. It's, it goes, uh, when I think that God, his son not sparing, sends him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. And so the, the pattern there is when I think about the, the miraculous love in the gospel, it turns into worship. It turns into love. It, it produces this kind of affection um, that you just can't get anywhere else because the glory of God is not seen anywhere else other than you could, well, excuse me, it is seen in other places, of course. It's seen ultimately, according to the Bible, in the cross of Jesus. Um, and Jonathan Edwards, uh, 18th century preacher, talking about this verse in Mark, uh, he says, the thing, talking about the cup or this wrath, this judgment that was before Jesus, talking about what that means for us and that f the fact that Jesus would endure that, he says, the thing that Christ's mind was so full of at that time was without doubt the dread which his feeble human nature had of that dreadful cup, which was vastly more terrible than Nebuchadnezzar's fiery furnace. Here is the cup that you are to drink. Will you take this cup and drink it for them or not? There is the furnace in which you are to be cast. If they are to be saved, what will you do? Is your love such that you will go on? And of course, Jesus says, yes, my love is such that it will go on and I will empty myself of all of the glory I have as being the only person who, who has never needed to repent, being God himself, but I will do it in order to save you. And if you see that, if you really see that, anyone, anyone I know that has seen that, uh, it turns into a love and a worship that really surpasses any of those other gods that we have, and, and that will produce a grief. It will, when you see sin, you'll see what it did to God. You'll see the hurt, you'll see the pain, but then you'll see the love at the same time, and you'll be affirmed, and there'll be hope, even in the midst of that sorrow. Um, and so I, I uh, yeah, I'll, I'll end like this. This is a poem from the 17th century. Um, it goes like this. Here might I stay and sing 
no story so divine. Never was love, dear king, never was grief like thine. This is my friend, in whose sweet praise I all my days to gladly give. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for um, this message. We thank you for uh, your word and how it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, I thank you for, for just the sweet um, but challenging uh, promise in, that, that comes to us through the gospel that we can both be people who grieve over the things that we've done, um, but at the same time we can, we can hope and rejoice even in the midst of that, knowing that you have taken the ultimate grief through your son for us. Um, I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in this kind of godly grief. Uh, Lord, that you'd help us distinguish it from worldly grief in our lives and uh, even root out what those, those things are, Lord, that, that lead us to regret, lead us to a type of grief that isn't um, as glorifying to you, uh, but that does lead us deeper into the love of Jesus uh, who has done all this for us, and we pray this in his name. Amen. Every week at City Church, we approach the Lord's table together as a people of God. It's an opportunity to remember the gospel. It's an opportunity to submit to it and say, if you've taken communion before, maybe lots of times, and it's never really kind of moved the needle for you, it feels awfully rote, it could be that the grief that you're experiencing is worldly grief. It's a horizontal grief. You're mainly sad about the damage you've done to your reputation, to relationships, if that's the case, when you approach the Lord's table, of course it's not going to do much for you because it says, look what Christ has done for you. Um, it doesn't make any immediate promises about curing your reputation or, or restoring your relationships. It points you to Jesus. However, if you approach the Lord's table mainly grieved um, because you have offended a holy God, now this, this is going to do some work. It says, yes, you have grieved a holy God. Uh, you have offended a holy God, but look what Christ has done for you. So I do hope that you will approach this table uh, not with a worldly grief, but with a godly grief. And I, and I would encourage you to, to pray accordingly, that you would approach the table in that way. Um, and therefore be nourished by this meal and really changed by it. The Lord Jesus, in the night that he was to be betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples. And during the meal, uh, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. Then after the meal, Jesus took the cup, and as he poured it, he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul says, As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Because he rose again, he ascended into the presence of the Father. He will return. We have no idea what our external circumstances are going to be like until he returns, until death calls us. Uh, but we do know that Christ will return. We will be with him one day in the new city and there will be no more sorrow there will be no more reason for grieving because <clears throat> sin will be gone physical pain will be gone all suffering will be no more if you're a follower of jesus i invite you to come and receive this meal uh, if you're here and you would not say that you're a follower of jesus we're so glad that you are here um, and i hope that this message clarifies for you the fact that at the end of the day we are put we are people who are sinful but we're putting our hope in jesus
Let me pray for us. After I pray, there will be an elder or deacon at each side of this table. Um, and when you approach either one of them, uh, they will hand you a wafer, and then you can pivot and take a, a cup of juice that's sitting on the table, as you will see, and then take communion back at your seat or up here. If you want to kneel and pray, it's up to you. Then we'll, um, there'll be some more music after a time of silence, and we'll end our, our time together. Lord, thank you for gathering us once again into this place to remember <coughs> the gospel. We do pray for, it, we hopefully emphasize this every week, the importance of investigating our hearts that you might root out sin. Um, but Lord, not only do we, we ask you for that, but I pray that that would indeed produce in us um, a godly grief this morning instead of a worldly grief, that this meal might be, as we, as we submit to this meal in faith, that it might be particularly, uh, not just convicting, but nourishing, encouraging. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Christ our life appears For trials weigh us down We'll fade and fall away As He receives our crown And death will disappear Its rule and reign destroyed Beneath the weight of glory And eternal joy We're longing for that day When we'll see Christ our Savior We'll behold the glory of our King Forever Christ our Savior Faith will turn to sight when Christ our life Christ our life appears. Would you stand with us? Let's keep singing. Beside the King 
I walk For there my heart has found its treasure Christ is mine Thanks again for joining us this morning. It's great to worship with you. Reminder uh, to fill out your connection card. If you haven't done that, we'd love to hear from you. Also, uh, stop by the welcome table to uh, get connected and get resources for the City Roots Project. Our benediction this morning, um, I thought fitting in light of global circumstances. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.
Still 